Perfect. Today, we've got Laura Wilson, who is an executive recruiter for Westwood in Wilshire. Hopefully I said that right. Um, and then, you know, Laura, yeah. you mentioned that you, in the early days, um, had an opportunity to scale and grow a team and go through an IPO, and then kind of moved in, you know, your career to get into recruiting and looking at that from an individual contributor level, and then, you know, moving more into uh, an executive staffing firm um, that you're at now. So, uh, maybe maybe fill in some of the gaps there, you know, in terms of uh, just how you maybe got passionate and, and into the recruiting space um, and just kind of how you found yourself where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to, to be here. Uh, well, early on in my career, I, I kind of got recruited into uh, like a sales role for Rosetta Stone. They sold that language learning software and they were building out this kiosk program. So I was like just out of college. And it ended up being like three locations where I was hiring and training, you know, folks that had no sales experience whatsoever, right? How to convince someone walking through a mall uh, to buy a $250 software that um, they had to put a lot of time and commitment into. So it was a fantastic experience where, you know, I helped them grow to 150 locations, you know, millions of dollars of quotas, held giant training sessions, huge onboarding, and just a ton of recruitment and was with them as they went through their IPO. And I think it gave me a passion for spotting talent because that's what you do as a leader, right? You're constantly hiring. Talent is what you've got. So identifying those skill sets that could scale, that aptitude, the potential, right? Because a lot of times you can't hire someone that's done exactly that before, right? You're training them into that. And I think that's part of what led me into recruiting, helping others kind of figure out how to do that early on and, and catch on to those skill sets early. Yeah. That's such a, I love that, that point you just made too about, you know, kind of spotting talent. And um, I think, I've always seen that in my career that I've, I felt like, and I'd love maybe some validation or, or invalidation here from you. I've always felt like some of the best managers I've had almost like stockpile talent, you know, like they just, they like, it doesn't really, you know, again, like there, there obviously has to be a role and you have to have it defined, but I think I've just noticed how managers tend to like try and find good people. And, you know, if they really find somebody that they're passionate about and they feel like is, is going to be great for the company, then, you know, they kind of find the role over time or they, they bring them in the organization yeah. as quickly as possible because they don't want them to go away. Um, so I'm curious yeah. if you see that a lot or if you feel like that's, you know, part of what you explained, you know, in terms of your going through the IPO and, and with Rosetta Stone and kind of, you know, growing and scaling a team. I wonder if, you, if that's a, a thought you had as well, uh, just doing that in your own practice. Yeah, well, for, I mean, when, it, when I was at Rosetta Stone, it's, it's, it was definitely spotting the talent I had that was early on and giving them a path, right, like a runway. Like, where's their future, yeah. right? So I can hold on to them, keeping them challenged, um, and then I get to keep them on my team and, have, and reap all the rewards. Um, I think for my clients, it's about their network. And so sometimes, you know, especially early on, having a fantastic network and, and contacts, you know, a lot of these startups, they build from their network, right? That's very common. And then they usually reach a point where they're like, okay, I need more network. <laughs> I need a larger network. And that's usually when you go out to a firm, right? And say, I need your network for my company. And that's, that's when they pull folks like me in, right? To help them do that. And it's also to help them identify, um, you know, outside of their network so that they're really focused on that diversity and inclusion, right? A diverse pool of candidates and building an inclusive environment um, early on. And so sometimes they'll use us for that too, because you need to break out. It can't be everyone you went to school with or whoever you, you know, were at Google with in your early career days, right? Sometimes you need to break through that. Um, but it's that network and that's part of you kind of benchmarking talent is um, right, building the network. Yeah. Well, um, you, you brought up the diversity and inclusion piece and I feel like we should stick on that just for a couple of minutes. So how do you, you know, when you're working with companies or just in, in your own, um, you know, as you've kind of gone around in your career, how do you, like, how do companies right now, especially like make sure that, you know, diversity and inclusion isn't just lip service. Like it actually is, you know, yeah. we actually have um, kind of the purpose behind, you know, actually bringing in diverse opinions, diverse voices, because it's mm -hmm. going to make us better as a company. Like how, I don't know if there, I mean, 
I think the cliche answer is always going to be, you know, it starts from the top. But um, I don't know. I'm curious if there are just more like tactical things that managers or you know uh, team leads can start doing and thinking about and pushing you know their HR teams on yeah. just to, to make sure um, you know that yeah. they're in that diversity. Well, I love that because you're holding everyone accountable, right? In the way that you talked about that, right? Because it does start from the top, right? And it has to be intentional. But everyone has to take accountability down to just a manager making their very first hire, right? It has to be yeah. intentional for them. Um, and I think that's the biggest part. So some things that I think are really interesting to do early on are to think about your branding, right? Because how do you recruit a diverse, right, candidate pool if you don't present yourself as someone open to different ideas and thoughts and right backgrounds? So it's really important. So I mean, that's down to the pictures on your website, right? Like, do they show diversity? <laughs> because I'll tell you later on, it gets really hard to recruit these fantastic diversity candidates when there's no female leadership, no people of color, right, um, on the team. Yeah. They're very worried to join that organization. So. Um, just in your branding and your messaging, and then think about the way that you write your job specification, right, your job description. And it sounds simple, but you have to use inclusive language because people will read it and they'll be like, ooh, that doesn't sit with me. Or like, ooh, this is great. I would love to join this company. Wow. So. Yeah, those are uh, certainly, I mean, I think passively I've thought about the branding piece, but now that you, I don't know, now that you brought it to the forefront of my mind, right, it's like something that you feel like is so straightforward and simple to think about, but sometimes, I mean, I, I didn't even think about it until now, like, you know, making sure even too, just that, you know, how, how are we even putting that in our about us section or our career section? Like how are we mm -hmm. actually talking about it and bringing it to the forefront of the conversation too? Um, so that anybody who's looking at the site can understand that we're, we're thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, folks like me can help, right? So if you're, if your postings aren't getting you a diverse candidate pool and if your network's not getting you a diverse candidate pool, leaning on um, a search firm that you, makes that a powerful piece of their of their mission um, can help intentionally expand your diversity pool. Um, and then it's looking at that too. So I was listening to this fantastic um, webinar this morning, um, just at the board level, right? And how right there's this traditional model for board members and they have to have been a former CEO or a former you know, CFO. And how if you want to be intentional about a diverse board, you have to open that up, right? And and that's taking a little bit of a leap and that's looking at just a little bit different of a profile that could be good, but hasn't been the traditional model. And I think that's the idea, right? Breaking that traditional model and going a little bit wider to get a more diverse thought and, um, and background. Yeah. So, you know, going, going into the kind of the team lead or the manager perspective, you know, and, and you're trying to find candidates, you're trying to interview, you're, you know, you're trying to hire for roles. Um, like what are some of the, you know, what are some of the things that you like to, to tell people about to make sure that they've kind of got their ducks in a row what are some of the first things that you go to when you know somebody's looking and trying to hire somebody into the organization? So first, I think what's important is that you need to define your scope of the role, right? What does this person need to do? Um, the same person that's coding HTML through the onboarding process might not be the best person for upsells and account expansion and carrying a quota. So really thinking, what do I have to have? And then is that have to have something that I have to have today? Or what, what would be nice to have in this candidate in six months or 12 months? So, Sometimes you have to think about what sacrifices you need to make or what are the nice-to-haves and what are the must-haves. So as you're interviewing the candidate, right, how much can you hire on aptitude and potential and what do they already have to come to the table with? Does that kind yeah. of make sense? Um, yeah, yeah. No, it does. <laughs> right? it, I'm well, sure your hiring managers talk about that. <laughs> it's, the, it's the challenge, right? Because there's, I mean, I love the way you just put that, though, about the, I mean, there has to be, you have to strike a balance, too, because, again, what you need today is not going to be the same thing you're going to need three, six, nine, 12 months ago or 12 months from now. And so, you know, I think having uh, maybe the, I don't know, I'm just thinking about this from the manager perspective. It's like, you kind of have to actually, one of the first things you have to do is be okay with that and, and understanding that this is going to shift over time. 
um, in that, you know, by and large, I think the, the responsibilities are going to stay relatively the same, but, you know, you might be looking at that slightly different in three, six, nine months. And, and you need to make sure that, again, the candidate that you're choosing can fit the mold today um, and hopefully then yeah. adapt over time and, and kind of fit what you need. But yeah. um, maybe one of the first lessons yeah. is just helping managers to understand that, you know, the, that that's going to change and that's okay. Yeah, well, and that some people will, will rise to the challenge, right? They, maybe you're hiring someone that hasn't been in the exact same, you know, market segment as you. Well, do they have the aptitude to do it, right? Where, you know, can they multitask? You know, do they have the potential to learn new tools? Are they super tech savvy? Do they require a lot of direction? Or do they just, they know how to get to the answer, they just don't know the answer, right? So, so those are some of those, like, less tangibles that are really good to interview for. And I think that a lot of my clients kind of ask, how, how do I flesh that out? And sometimes that's just proposing a problem and seeing how they answer it, right, through the interview process, right? Um, how do they overcome the obstacle, maybe what they've done in the past, or how would they tackle the problem? Like, give them, give them an exercise, right? See how creative they are at solution finding, right? Nobody has all of the answers. It's just whether or not we know how to get to them. Yeah, I like that. And, and how do you think about the – so I love, again, what you said, too, about just making sure that you, we define the role clearly, because I think that always is a challenge in the first place. Um, yeah. and then, and then how do you, you know, how do you coach, you know, clients that you work with and, and people to start judging or, uh, start scoring, you know, their candidates based off of that, that job description. Is there are there frameworks that you use? Is it, you know, I mean, a lot of it, I feel like a lot of times comes down to, to gut feeling in terms of outside of the, the aptitude, um, and some of the, you know, the things that we can measure in terms of, uh, what they might be able, be able to accomplish in terms of, uh, like you said, coding language or, um, skill sets that, yeah. that they might've shown in previous, you know, jobs. But I'm curious, how, how do you um, help some of the hiring managers start thinking about, you know, comparing candidates and, and what might fit, what might not fit? That's a fantastic question. And I, <laughs> that's like the golden question, <laughs> the <laughs> hardest one. Um, and I think it's a balance of quantitative and qualitative, right? It, there is some subjectivity to it that we can't get a part of, especially with the, like the earlier stage companies, right? They're growing and that, you know, A, B, C round, and there's so much that changes because there's like this personal attachment, you know, from the founders or your first leaders that are kind of like, you know, this is like their kid, right? And they love yeah. it so much. They want to like work with people that see that same vision and it's hard to schluff that to the side. Um, so it's inevitably going to be some kind of combination. Um, but it sounds so rudimentary, but a grid. <laughs> I use a grid uh, when we can't agree on what to prioritize or what people have. And it's like, let's score them one to three and let's pick out four or five skills. And it's like, don't have it at all. You know, some can learn or expert and, and then just grid it out. And so if we use that as we're talking about candidates to help compare and contrast, it also helps leaders identify how much of their bias they're bringing, right? Like how much do they just like them versus the skills? Yeah. So, I don't know. It's simple, but you know, no, Excel no. or just a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, no, we always like, I actually love that because we always love tangible examples to share to our audience. And so it's, I mean, like you said, it's, it sounds so yeah. simple, but why break something that works? You know, like, yeah. Hey, let's, let's detail this out. Yeah. And so say, I mean, so say like, it's, cause it's always hard. It's like the, the hiring manager always wants the perfect ideal candidate and they have this idea in their mind. And that person doesn't always exist in that form. And so, you know, you'll go through a search and it'll be like weeks and these fantastic candidates, one after the other after the other, but they're like, they're always missing like say the one thing, right? They just don't have the one thing. And so sometimes just mapping and showing that, right? Cause it's visual. They're very, most people are pretty visual creatures and seeing like, oh, wait, all these people who I love all of this, they don't have that. And the only people that have that skill, oh, that wouldn't be good for my business. So then you have to think, well, how can I overcome that? Can I train them? Could someone else take that? Um, but yeah, I <laughs> just love the visual. <laughs> how, um, so now kind of maybe shifting gears a little bit, I think one of the other questions that we get asked a ton is, is maybe from the actual kind of candidate level or the individual contributor. And, 
you know, one of the things I think we always get asked is around this idea of I'm, I've been excelling. I'm, I'm really great at, you know, being a CSM or being in an individual contributor contributor role, maybe like an account manager or, or some customer facing function, um, you know, now being given the option of potentially moving into management. And, you know, now I'm deciding, like, do I want to stay an individual contributor or do I want to you know, move into a manager position? And I'm just curious uh, if you over the years have picked up anything to help help people maybe look at that question or analyze it in their own different, you know, kind of unique way. That's a great question. And it feels like so personal. <laughs> I'll tell you why, because I've gone through roles where, you know, I've managed massive teams and then gone into an individual contributor, right? And like change fields. And then I always kind of inevitably grow back into management and coaching. And so just as this personal antidote, like for me, I just love to help other people, right? Which is probably why recruiting is a good fit, but um, helping clients and candidates like get to this next stage. But like as a leader, like, is there a personal reward in helping others? Like, so I would ask them that, right? How much success do you get out of your job when you help a fellow teammate, right? Are you the person that takes the initiative to learn the new tool and teach everyone? You know, are you the one, right? No one raises their hand at the end of the meeting to tackle whatever kind of task it is. Like, are you the person that raises that? Because there's a certain self, oh, self-sacrifice is the right word. But if you're doing that when everyone has their own quota, or their own kind of metrics to achieve, but you always want to go a little further because it helps the greater good and it helps the team that's probably a pretty good inclination that you want to be a manager, right? Um, yeah. But you also have to be okay with having really tough conversations. So if they make you uncomfortable, like have some self-reflection on that because a good manager has to be able to call out the behavior because no one can fix anything if they don't know there's a problem, right? So I'd, I'd probably ask them to look at those two things to start. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully too, the, I think the uncomfortable conversations is multifaceted because, you know, hopefully at that point in your career, you know, if you're being asked to move into a management position, then you've been comfortable at least having, I'm going to call them kind of financial or contractual conversations. Um, Cause a lot of times, you know, you're, you're going to have that renewal responsibility. You might have upsell cross sell. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of feel comfortable from the, the monetary perspective, which I think is a big part as you go into being a manager. Right. Cause I think a lot of times people are, you know, are trying to come ask for more money. They're asking for other incentives. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, they might be coming to have that conversation a lot. And so I think that's a big part of, you know, just like you mentioned, you know, being comfortable and having those conversations. And I also think there's a part that yeah. you, you kind of have to feel, um, <clears throat> I think like you mentioned, you have to, as you become a manager, you know, in, in that role, you have to also feel comfortable in having um, conversations about, you know, that person's life potentially, or what may be going on or things that, you know, that they're going to need to open up to you about because they, you know, might feel that relationship and feeling okay with just being a listener. I think mm -hmm. a lot of times um, what yeah. I've seen just throughout my career is it's really tough to, um, you know, kind of go from a position where you're doing a lot of the talking, you know, we're presenting to executives. We've got a lot of this, like you said, we've got a lot of this accolade and great individual contributor stuff that we're doing. And then, you know, a lot of times when you're a manager, you feel like you have to listen a lot and, um, you know, not necessarily mm -hmm. even talking. And so I think that's a, another part of maybe that, mm -hmm. that part of the yeah. conversation on there as well. Fantastic. Especially now that everyone's, you know, working remotely um, oh there, you have to be so proactive in that listening right? Um, like intentionally reaching out and connecting with your team, right? One-on-one, -on -one, right? Not just through team meetings and not just through Zoom, like give people a safe place to open up. So there has to be this like proactive nature too, I would say, just to kind of piggyback on that um, about being able to listen, right? So you know what they need or, you know, what their struggles are, or what, you know, how to help them be successful. Um, it's so much more intentional now that we're not just bumping into each other or overhearing conversations, right? Across the QB. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. And, well, and now you've got so many different uh, like mediums to actually communicate through, you know, virtually mm -hmm. we've got text, we have 
Zoom calls, we've got emails, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we've got probably Slack or Microsoft Teams, whatever that might be. So sure. there's, there's just so many different ways too that yeah. there's probably, I mean, now more than ever, there's no excuse for you not to be able to, to reach out and have those one-on-ones because, you know, there's, there's all these different communication channels. But I think at the same time, you have to be, to your point, you have to be intentional. You have to have times to decide for an actual one-on-one -on -one where you're listening, where you're, you know, you know being an active listener, uh, as my mom used to say, that's yeah. a good ode back to yeah. my mom and making sure <laughs> yeah, very, very lesson. Yeah. Um, so, but that's a good point. I, I think that's something that, you know, is a big shift. What, you know, to ask the cliche question, now that we're working remotely, uh, you know, what have you seen really shift? Is it, I would imagine the job pool just opens up, you know, so much more in terms of where you're searching, but is there anything else that you've just noticed outside of just that kind of the obvious uh, about, you know, working remotely that has changed the dynamic in, in technology companies? Oh, big question. Um, all, all of it. Um, I, I would just loop back to emphasize that intentional connection, right? Um, there's this importance to to connect with people. Um, and we have all of this technology, um, but I think still like the most powerful way to really connect is like to get somebody on a one-on-one -on -one phone call, right? Because you don't have a water cooler to bump into each other. You can't go take them for a walk around the building or a coffee. And it's hard for people, you know, when they're on Zoom all day long or whatever video platform you're using, there's a certain presence and um, self-awareness that's it can trip people up a little bit, right? And so sometimes just giving people an old-fashioned phone call just allows them to really open up. It's like you're walking side by side, right? Remember like those team walkabouts, right? Where you go get that yep. cup of coffee, you take down all of the barriers and just let people open up as like an equal. And I feel like a phone call kind of mimics that as best as we can right now, because it takes away all of that pressure, um, right? To yeah. look right or, you know, keep your eyes perky or whatever it is on the video. <laughs> yeah. um, so I guess that's one piece. Um, it's fascinating what it does for folk because they're looking at different things, right? So if, you know, you're my candidate and, and you're looking at an opportunity, commute's not a factor right now. Um, so it's about the company and the opportunity. It's not just a personal click, right? Well, they offer me the flexibility to pick up my kid at 4.30. Um, I think the whole world realized that, you know, we, people have kids or people have lives, right? And it's, and it's different. So you're looking at the fit, um, right? Does, does this match my career goals? Do I click with my manager? Do I love the product? Is the mission like, does it really sing to me? So I think there's all of these other bits that get in the way when we consider an opportunity or when we consider a candidate and, oh, they're going to burn out with this hour-long commute from San Jose or whatever it is. And some of that doesn't necessarily matter right now, right? So it's really about the fit, which I think is kind of fabulous. Yeah, I was about to say, it's a huge, like, normalizing factor, right? It's like, you, um, yeah. when you take away distance and the fact that of, like, an office, um, like you said, you you think a whole lot more about like, do I actually, can I actually align myself with, with this brand and what this company stands for? And, you know, do I believe in their product a little bit more? And um, you start to probably ask yourself a little bit more about the, those type of questions and, and making sure it's a fit for you than I think we probably did in the past. Um, you know, I've, I've done that certainly in my career where you, know, you look at an opportunity and it's like, well, are they going to pay me more money? And are they going to, you know, is it going <laughs> to give me a, a 15 minute yeah. closer commute? Then, you know, those are great things and I'm going to do it. And, <laughs> uh, and so I think just to your point, like it just, it probably offers um, candidates an opportunity to step back. And then honestly, it probably forces employers just to your point, back to your, your branding elements, back to your DNI, like, right. There's, there are other things that you really need to make sure are, are actually a priority to your business because candidates now have the leverage, so to speak um, in some cases. And, you know, you need to be able to stand out amongst the other, uh, the other companies yeah, that are to work anywhere. To hire good talent. Yeah. yeah. But that helps the company have a wider candidate pool too, right? So, yeah. you know, that San Francisco downtown, you have such a more diverse, you know, candidate pool. I mean, San Francisco obviously 
typically pretty diverse, but it just opens it up right now. It's not just young kids or, you know, or, you know, that postgraduate, you, you know, you have the people that have wanted to move to the burbs and raise their families or whatever it is. It's still, it just changes that pool for everybody, no matter where you're at. If you don't, if you're not no longer requiring people to commute within like a certain radius. So I think it works on both sides, right? Opening up um, the opportunities. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, from the management side, you know, kind of shaping the role, um, thinking about, you know, how we're kind of interviewing candidates and potentially how we're kind of scoring them against one another to make sure we can, you know, get the right, right fit. Talk a little bit about individual contributor, maybe asking themselves, you know, do they want to stay an individual contributor? Do they want to go to the manager level and what that kind of looks like? Um, and so maybe the third point to hit on and then uh, we'll, we'll try and find some, some nice ways to wrap up with some takeaways. But maybe the third point is um, how do you, you know, as a as you get back into that manager perspective, um, what happens is you start identifying, you know, whether or not a person kind of fits on your team anymore. I think we talked about, you know, potentially looking out, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months. And sometimes, you know, your needs change and maybe that, you know, this person doesn't necessarily fit what, what exactly you need. Um, and so how do you think about just trying to maybe position, you know, people into other parts of the organization um, or train them on skills that they need, you know, for their current position? Like, how do you, how do you kind of judge if, if that's, you know, available to that person in that perspective? And I know, Again, it's kind of a hard question yeah. because it's probably different, you know, situation to situation. Yeah. But how you how do you think about framing up uh, that question? So, if if you're bringing the person on board, I think a really good question to ask or thing to look for <clears throat> is actually the candidates' questions, right? How generic are the questions and how specific are they? Are they saying like who's responsible for the upsell or right like you know how long is you know what is your onboarding process? Like those are pretty generic questions, but if it's the kind of candidate that says, hey, who's the best at XYZ in your org, and will I have an opportunity to shadow them, right? <clears throat> that's a specific. That's someone that finds solutions, right? They don't know the answer, but they find the way to get the answer. So I'd say use that in your interview process because you're going to find the person that knows how to be successful, not just in the short term, but the long term, because it's an aptitude. It's an intentional um, characteristic, right, to always grow and drive and continue bettering yourself. Um, once the person's on your team, I think part of it is, Again, defining what you need, right? Have the understanding, like, what do I need out of this role? Is this person, you know, can they can they hang out here? Are they, are they getting what's done? Um, yeah. And then do I have the ability to train them on it? Or can this facet be, could Bob handle it? Or could Susan take it, right? Um, defining on what is needed today and then what you can kind of shuffle around on your team and whether or not this person's kind of worth training for, right? Do you really just, does this person in your org need to be able to have this? Um, and then communicate it right to the employee saying this role, I need this. This is a requirement for this role. So I need you to be able to do X, Y, Z and then set a timeline, right? And sit down and give them the training and then give them the feedback, right? And so maybe you make it a, a 90 day uh, training exercise. Maybe it's 30 days. I don't know how much time you have, right? That's going to be up to you um, to train this person and then make it like weekly or biweekly meetings where you set kind of agenda. These are the things I want you to do this week and then, and then recap on them. Um, but that's management, right, in any in any field. Yeah, yeah. But it's communicating what's missing, giving them the tools to learn it, and then getting around the back and being like, did we learn this skill, right? Did you exercise that? Let's break through the examples. Like, let's talk about your client calls. Let's talk about how the churn changed. Let's talk about the objections you had when you went to upsell or how you didn't look at the metrics to see what they really needed, right, and use those specifics because that's training, right? That's giving them the tools to succeed. And then you set a timeline. And if, if they're better, fantastic. If they're not, well, you have the paper documentation for HR, move on. Yeah, and I love, I love that so much. Um, I was actually just writing a, a note down because I like the way you just talked about um, thinking about those plans and how, you know, we really need to, to, I also think just be upfront and forthright, you know, as you're starting to develop those things, as we're, like you said, meet, you know, for, for measuring that weekly, if we're 
if we have expectations, we need to be able to openly talk about that with, you know, with our candidate that we're bringing on board or with a current team member in order for this whole thing to work anyways. Yeah. And that comes from my years, years, years of managing and hiring and training and, and tips and all of that. But it, I had so few people that I really, you know, people would usually, if you put them on this kind of plan, right, and you, and you map it up and you're very intentional in your management, it, the person either gets better or more often they realize they can't do it and they quit. And you don't actually have to go through the whole process of firing them. Um, and I mean, I hundreds and hundreds of employees that I worked with, but because I think that communication was clear, you, they knew when it was time for them to go and we didn't have to go through all kind of like the formal hassle of letting them go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Uh, well, this oh, is awesome. that's, that's more important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the other side of the coin. Yeah. Right? That's the one we hope for. Um, well, this has been yeah. awesome so far. And we like to, we always like to try to end with a couple of just key takeaways. And so maybe, um, you know, what's maybe one takeaway from your perspective from the, maybe the, the manager level who's hiring for the first time or they're bringing in candidates. Is there anything that, you know, you would give out there just kind of a tactical piece of advice as they go do their search um, and look for, you know, uh, great team members to bring on board? Absolutely. Um, well, be intentional, know what you're asking for, and then find a way to measure that and compare and contrast it. So if you're interviewing, you have to re a way to reflect on your notes so that you can make that best decision, right? Give yourself some kind of accountability. Um, and if you're not finding the candidate pool that you need, or you wanna intentionally make sure that you are getting a more diverse candidate pool, um, partner up, right? Partner up with whatever your HR recruiting team is, partner up with your network, and reach out to candidates yourself that you want to bring on your team. Um, or don't be afraid to use a recruiter if that's if it's that important to get the right hire. Love be that. intentional. I love the, <laughs> Proactive. I love the well, I love the reach out to candidates, right? Like that's, I mean, you can, you your HR is there to, to help facilitate the process and, you know, help be involved and, and help you. But at the same time, like, you know, you can manifest your own destiny here. If you, if you see good candidates, you oh, need yeah. to be proactive about it. So I love that. Well, what about on the um, kind of individual contributor side, maybe somebody who's looking to join a company or somebody who is in a company currently, any, any kind of tactical piece of advice you'd give them kind of in the, in today's climate sure. for, for the job market and everything. Well, identify what you want. It's, it's the same on both sides. It's hard to get what you want if you haven't identified it for yourself. So say it out loud, talk to some mentors, you know, <laughs> walk it out, talk it out, but figure out what you want so that you can go get it. Um, that's going to make that a lot easier. I like the, I like that too. I've, I've heard a lot um, just throughout my career too, which is uh, on the, the flip side, it's also just as good to figure out what the things that you don't want. Like uh, I think sometimes it's hard mm -hmm. for people to, to write down what you want, um, you know, but I think, throughout your career, if you can at least just keep both sides of that uh, equation going, like if you can yeah. still write down stuff that you don't like and, or don't want out of a, a position, then that's also yeah. just helpful um, to go figure out. Absolutely, as yeah, what's the, what's the deal breaker, you know? <laughs> yeah. What is a must exactly. have, what is deal breaker, and then your gray area, and then you can cut away and balance how that shoe fits, right? Yeah, that's perfect. Well, Laura, this has been awesome. Uh, just as we kind of wrap up here, what's the, if people want to get in touch, learn more, you know, about um, what you do, or just learn more about uh, you know, recruiting in the uh, executive space. How do you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, absolutely. Well, um, I work for Westwood and Wilshire and my email is Laura at Westwood and Wilshire. Um, I'm also sassy recruiter on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, software as a service. Um, and yeah, uh, or, or yeah, find me on LinkedIn, hit me up. Um, would be absolutely happy to network uh, or refer you to anyone I can think of or help you grow your business. Awesome. That's, I love the sassy sassy recruiter by the way <laughs> matches a little bit of my personality maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i like it uh well perfect thank you so much laura and we'll uh, hopefully have you on again soon to, to keep talking more about you know recruiting in the tech space and its customer success 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.